0: is our business. It's like
1: nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics.
2: Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome everyone to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk in the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp.
0: And I am Zach Moore, and we are thrilled to welcome back to Standard Orbit, master of all things con knowledge, Mr. John Tenuto. Welcome aboard, John. (laughs) Thanks. That's the best introduction I ever had. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't thank you enough. Oh, excellent. Uh, So, John.
2: (laughs) uh... (laughs) Is this going to go on all day?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Moving along quickly. Moving along.
2: (laughs)
0: So, John, uh, you recently had an article on StarTrek.com. You contributed to talking about the evolution of uh, videotape releases and Star Trek two and Spacey and how it all ties together. Uh, talk to us some about, you know, about that right off the top, man.
1: Sure. Uh, well, you know, my, my wife and I, we just recently got a um, – we were able to get a, 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 a box that was sent to retailers – when Star Trek II came out, and it was a box that had an oversized, jumbo-sized, you know, Wrath of Khan uh, videotape box. On the other side was a workout video, so it's kind of a strange-looking thing, <laughs> uh, very, very 80s, you know, kind of, uh, you know, exercise one side, Star Trek on the other. And and in there was a lot of interesting materials that was meant to help promote uh, a local video store selling uh, copies of it. And uh, that got us really interested in taking a look at the history of how how, and why Star Trek II really became uh, one of the very first what they call sell-through mm-hmm. videotapes, which is to, you know, the, the, the way the market used to work was, uh, you know, there was a, a really two price points. Uh, initially, really only one price point, which was videotapes were really priced for uh, stores to purchase and then to rent out and they would they would run anywhere from 70 to 80 to up to $100 for a store to purchase a tape and now that doesn't didn't mean you, you a consumer or just a home a person who wanted one for their home couldn't buy one but that cost was really prohibitive back then for most people and so um you know there was really the mentality that videotapes were a rental market but there was this idea that well, well is there a there was a, a curiosity of was there a market you know, were people interested in having a, a home movie library like they would have a a, a book library, and uh, and Star Trek 2 is really a big part of that.
2: It, it was it was exciting times, John. I you know I, I was around in that era, and I remember clearly um, the the whole campaign that was put around it and. And it was, it was just uh, because, you know, we would go into Blockbuster and doing our things at that time. And that really made it, um, you know, that's just what it was. You were spending whatever it was at the time, five, ten bucks a week on a few movies. You'd even call to reserve the movies, <laughs> if I remember <laughs> right. And they'd have them up on the wall. And uh, as a Star Trek fan, and by that time, I was a ferocious one. Uh, when when they announced that that the Wrath of Khan was going to be mass produced, that, those were exciting times, and I, I was, that's that's why I've seen that movie more than any other movie by tenfold uh, in my lifetime, is is due to all of that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about um, Ryan Johnson had a, had a comment about. Uh, why he thought star Wars kind of captured kids imaginations and and in part, and he had a, it had a partially to do with the, the, the lack of availability to watch it when it first came out, that you, you could only see it in the theater and that that spurred on a kind of, um, Uh, a special place that Star Wars had in people's minds and hearts. And, you know, with kids, you really had to, you know, you had to really live it through toys, you know, in a way if you wanted to relive it again or listen to it on uh, the story of Star Wars, you know, narrated by Roscoe Lee Brown or, you know, or, or, or reading the comic books or things like that. You really didn't have access to the film unless you went to the theater. And Star Trek II really, sort of blows that whole model out the window for hollywood and introduces a brand new model which is a film goes into the theaters it stays there for its run and then fairly quickly uh, certainly much more quickly now than in the past but but fairly quickly that you, you you don't have to wait years to see it on tv again it'll be out on videotape and you can own it and then now you can you can watch that film as much as you want and that that whole model really did not exist prior to 1982 and 1983
0: yeah i you know come from a slightly younger generation than y'all so i i take videotapes for granted you know i grew up like oh yeah i'm just going to go to blockbuster i'm going to go to hollywood video i'm going to record something off tv right so it's uh, you know, i just, i remember you know jurassic park coming out and we had to wait like a year to get it on you know vhs tape and it was like felt like that was forever, you know. But nowadays, it's like three months later. You already see blu-ray, blu on DVD, digital download. Like Justice League, I think came out in November, and then it's it was it's already available for digital download. and the discs are coming out this month, and it just it just blows my mind how how quickly these things come and go now from the theater to your own home.
1: Yeah, you know, if if you sort of think back, like sort of historically, and I'm thinking back to my. My experiences too, and and Ken, I'm sure remembers all this era as well. But uh, you know, the very first. Uh, so what we, what, you know, videotape itself existed back in the 50s, but that was, you know, literally four hundred thousand dollars in today's money for a videotape recorder. Because and really, the only ones who used it was the television industry and 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 sort of the entertainment world. But it, it isn't until the 70s when you have, you know, JVC, I think, in in um, I think it's in '75, come uh, or no '76. They come out with VHS, and the year before that, '75, was, was Sony coming out with the Betamax format, which is just like smaller, you know. Video, right. Yeah. Format wars. Right. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, that 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 starts hitting the U.S. market around 1977, 1978, where, you know, it's very expensive uh, to buy a a video tape player, um, you know, easily could cost a family $500 to get a videotape player and blank tapes to get a blank tape was $20, $25. Mm, and then right. to rent a tape at a store, you had to give a blood test and DNA. No, I'm just kidding. But it was you, you had to give a lot because the tapes were so expensive. Many times you had to have a credit card on file with them or a put down a deposit in the amount of like a hundred dollars in order to just rent films. And then they would only let you have one or two movies at a time, uh, at the very, very beginning of that world. And they really, everything was sort of mom and pop stores. And we didn't have a lot of chains at the very early part of this, which is sort of the late seventies and very early eighties. And, um, you know, right away, Star Trek comes into that market and sees the potential uh, initially of the home rental market, and then eventually, and, and really, it is Paramount who's the first to, to try the experiment with Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star Trek II, and and even Space Seed before then. And we can kind of track that a little more specifically if if you guys want to. But it's uh, in around the time of the release of Wrath of Khan, and so that creates that whole other model of sort of tapes and then the prices are lowered and and um and and that really changes everything but those early days uh it, you know it, it, i guess the analogy would be or the closest thing would be if, if people remember when when dvds are first introduced in 1996 and the very first movie on DVD was Twister was the first one available. And really that was the first know, one.
0: What a, what a, yeah. what, a, what a film. Wow. <laughs> what a great
1: well it spun around in your player so it made sense, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that was the theme. But um, uh, you know the 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 whole the whole early days of DVD, if people remember that, was, you know, libraries. If they lent them out, they only lent out one at a time. And what is very similar, uh, there was almost a collectability quality to DVDs when they first came out. That they were they were something seen as you know rather special, and and that's how it was with videotapes. I mean, it's very similar. There was a format war, you know, eventually in DVDs as well between HD DVD and, and Blu-ray. And so, you know, those, if anybody kind of wasn't around in the era of VHS, you can kind of think about uh, what it was like when DVDs were first introduced. And that's, that's sort of like what happened. The the difference being though, of course, we didn't have anything like VHS prior to that. We we didn't have the ability to tape a show and delay it Mm -hmm. um, or watch movies over and over again. We we had been trained with that with the VHS market. And so there was that difference of of really the newness of all that.
0: Yeah. A a couple of things bounced off from what you said, John. Uh, uh, I really wish HD DVD would have won the format war because I, you know, I, I work in the industry and I deliver final products to clients and you'd be shocked how many people still don't understand the difference between standard definition DVD and high definition Blu-ray and I feel like if HD DVD would have won the explanation would have been in the title. <laughs> you know it's like what is HD what is not but anyway uh, all that to say you, know, you mentioned Space Seed being we can jump back to that for sure Space Seed being released on home video. Uh, both my parents were Star Trek fans and my mom had always told me this story where she bought Space Seed for $80 on tape for my dad back in the day. <laughs> and I was like, that's ridiculous, but it seems to be, that seems to track with what you're saying. So,
1: Yeah. You know, the, the kind of history of it's really interesting. The, um, in, in 1980 uh, was when we, we, and you know, one of the thing, I think the big theme, the, the, the meta theme, as they say in academia uh, is uh yeah, Star Trek is almost always used by new home technologies as a way to introduce that technology. It, it, it's, it's sort of like Star Trek and technology we all know go together so well, um, and really has shaped modern everyday real life technology from you know as everyone's familiar with you know iPads and cell phones and and you know Skype technology and all of that that gets inspired partially or entirely by. Uh, Star Wars, so there's always that kind of connection, and and so it, it it's almost like a default is that if there's a new home uh, entertainment option, Star Trek is going to be one of the very first that's put into there. So you know when 1980 rolls around, the only thing we had to to rewatch Star Trek prior to 1980 was you could catch a rerun on TV. You could use your um, your pocket flicks from uh, from Ideal, you know, which was this little portable uh, cassette type of a player where you put a little cassette in and you could watch like a minute and a half of Star Trek. Um, and and you know, it was really a toy in a way, is really what it was. But there really wasn't a way to watch Star Trek. The, the best a lot of us did was to take a cassette tape. When those are introduced in uh, or even reel-to-reel tapes before that, and, and you would tape the episode off the TV so you could at least hear it and and hear it on demand, you know, if not see it on demand. And then 1980 rolls around, and now videotapes are a reality, and uh, and people are starting to have VHS players in a way that's that's viable for movies to be released. And so Star Trek the Motion Picture is released on on videotape, and Paramount Home Video does release 10 episodes of the show in the vhs and betamax formats and all of that and but they're in they're incredibly expensive it's they really were only meant to be uh rented uh the motion picture was uh about 80 dollars, i think was the cost of that now they did do they did do a pretty interesting experiment i don't know if ken remembers this or not, but i barely remember this but photomat which you know was a you know, fans of that '70s show know what photo photo booths are, but photomats were, were, you know, sort of uh, um, uh, kiosks in a way that were outdoors, and you could you you pulled your car up literally, and you dropped off your film, and then you'd come back a couple days later, and you could pick up your film. Well, photomat did a deal uh, where they were actually starting to rent and sell movies as early as 1980, and so you would drive up to photomat, you'd drop off your film, or you could rent a VHS tape, and to rent a single tape like the motion picture was 12 bucks and then to, to purchase it was between 70 and $80. And so there's that, you know, that we do have that sort of early, again, we hear a new technology, Star Trek gets right into that. So in 1982, Paramount decides it's going to run some experiments and uh, the experiment, the idea is, you know, let's choose popular titles. Among them is going to be Star Trek. And let's see if, people are willing to spend $30 to own it rather than $5 to rent it. And, um, they first start off with Space Seed. That becomes the first one. So the price of Space Seed drops. So if your mom had waited just a little while but <laughs> the price <laughs> yeah. drops to, to, <laughs> to 29, 95. And it's a huge hit. It, it, it stays in the billboard top 40 sales for VHS tapes for the entire summer of 82, all the way through the fall of 82, all the way into 1983. And then it's bolstered again when, when Star Trek II comes out and they decide to do the same thing with Star Trek II. So instead of Star Trek II coming out and being at rental price, Star Trek II is, comes out and is $39.95. And sort of the internal numbers at Paramount is if they sell 60,000 copies of Star Trek II, they'll consider it a, a major success. And what it does in a single year is it sells 120,000 copies. So it doubles what they considered to be the success. It becomes the number one selling VHS tape of all time up to that point. Um, and really changes everything. It changes the model. Now now we get to that model of a movie gets released and then it gets, you know, put onto videotape. It gives a whole nother second life to movies that they didn't really have before except the occasional rerun. Uh, on television or maybe a reissue uh, in theater, which they had did with movies like Gone with the Wind in the, the mm-hmm. late 60s or, or Star Wars, you know, would be re-released in theaters. But uh, really as a as a sort of a permanent uh, as second life, uh, it's really Star Trek II and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark that makes it happen. And it's Paramount that does that in, in 83. And, you know, it's nice about Star Trek II. I mean, it's just, it broke so many records. And when it was released, Uh, just in theaters in June of 1982, June 4th, 1982, it becomes the highest grossing film of all time uh, in terms of the opening box office, I should say. So it beats even the opening weekend of Empire Strikes Back. And so, you know, Star Trek II was an enormous hit in the theaters and it was an enormous hit on VHS. And it was a perfect title to choose um, for this kind of an experiment that really transformed the whole, I, I, don't, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that uh, Rathicon transformed the whole the whole video market.
2: Well, you think about it, John. Too, it, it's it's quite a business model. Now, if memory serves, it's a good Spock line. The um, Blockbuster was owned by Paramount, and, and they, they I know they ran it for years. So it, they they kind of had both sides of it. They had the you know Blockbuster to go and rent, and they make money from that, and as well as sell the product. And it just it's uh, now. I know Blockbuster really came about years later, as far as popularity. You were right; it was all local video stores back in those days. I think the other interesting piece of that too, as I was thinking when you were saying that, is I probably have the world's record in late fees um, for <laughs> for those video <laughs> rentals too, because I, I could never get them back on time. And I remember my mom or my dad going to rent a movie, and it would be like, uh, "Did you ever return the motion picture? Did you ever, you know, that type of
1: stuff."
0: Yeah
1: yeah it just made, you know and and to rewind you know you had to rewind, you had to be kind and rewind and we we all had like separate i think everybody wound up buying at least one separate videotape rewinder yeah you know yes. Where, yes. where you got it for a gift from somebody <laughs> which was it didn't even play, it did nothing but rewind tapes that's, that's yeah, but it did it like it did it faster than a regular you know v h s player did, and that was like its attraction, which was just um you know, and it saved your, 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 the gears on your, your VHS player. Yeah. That was the time, main yeah. function
0: of it really to save the heads on your V, on your VCR. So it would be going constantly back and forth. That, that, isn't that crazy though? I think I hadn't really thought about those terms, but you have that one thing. This is one function just to rewind a tape predominantly for you to return it to a store, right? It's crazy, crazy talk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah. I mean, it's uh you know, in fact I was watching a, um, uh, uh, gosh, was it an episode of, um, I think it was an episode of Wings and and the episode, yeah, it was an episode of Wings, uh, an old 1990s, 80s sitcom, uh, I think 80s and 90s or at least 90s. And, uh, and had a little Star Trek connection there where one of the brothers on the show was a big Star Trek fan and the actor played a role on Deep Space Nine. And uh, so, but they, they, uh, they have an episode where he, you know, it's it's about rewind fees, you know, and the whole concept of rewinding. And, you know, it it that was just a whole nother world. I mean, I saw that as a teacher. I've always um, m- my wife and I have always played little clips of movies or something like that or, 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 or something, you know, as an example for students. And I remember in the old days, if you had two back to back classes, part of my job was literally just rewinding tapes. I mean, it was like a good hour of my day was rewinding or setting a tape up to a specific point so you could show that sequence. And, and I thought DVDs would have been great, but the problem with DVDs is the whole boot up, you know, system of it and waiting for the menus and all that. It actually took more time than tapes. Um, and so the digital world has really helped teaching in that regard, but, um, Mm -hmm. it was a whole nother, there's really just a whole nother, um, a whole nother world. I mean, you mentioned about owning Blockbuster. I was thinking too about the connection back in the sixties where, you know, RCA owned NBC and, right. and it's one of the reasons that Star Trek was even on TV was because it was such a colorful show. Um, and it really was one of the reasons, I mean, there's a lot of reasons in addition to fans writing in that Star Trek got renewed uh, for its third season. And really one of the big reasons was it was color and it was really color. It wasn't color like Andy Griffith show color. Cause Andy Griffith show color. When you, if you watch the color episodes, they may have well has been in black and white. I mean, everything <laughs> was either Brown or green and that was it. They right. really didn't take advantage of the color palette. Um, partially because they didn't know, you know, uh, what the, what the market would be for the color TV. And they also didn't know how different colors might play on TV, but Star Trek, um, you know, really was the, the the you know, and was actually used in 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 print advertisement to sell televisions because it was such a colorful show and designed to be colorful to sell color TVs. I mean, there's, that's the reason they're red, yellow, and blue. Um, and so, uh, you know, there that there that business uh, model behind some of this, I always think is fascinating.
2: It's, it's very fascinating, and those are the things that you know. It's funny because. You you read on social media, and, and I've I've even seen it pop up lately where they're talking about discovery and all access and paying the fee and all that. And you know the uh, somebody you know they're they're taking the soul out of out of Star Trek for for profits and capitalism. I like it's always been about um, the best business model that you can come up with in order to make things viable. And and it's um, I, I didn't know I, I knew RCA owned NBC for a long time. But I, I didn't realize that that was the connection to, or one of the connections to keeping the show on. That, that's something brand new to me uh, was for the color. I, I mean, I knew that's why they were so colorful and why it was so vivid, but I, I had no idea that um, that the, the TV side of it, making color TVs back then, um, you don't think about um, TV well TVs aren't made in the United States anymore but back then they certainly were and that's uh that's fascinating that that's that's a neat piece of information right there
1: Yeah there's really there's really three reasons Star Trek wound up getting renewed one one is the the protest played a role and an important role um and 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 that is because the, they used to take I mean you know pre prior to, to social media you know they treated every letter as basically standing for about a thousand people And so Uh, To get that many letters coming in, they saw it as a much larger audience than just the letters that were coming in, which were significant to begin with, the number of letters that they got. So that was that was important. Um, The RCA television aspect was also important. And one of the other reasons was Star Trek. Star Trek cost, you know, it was an expensive show and it costs them a little bit more. I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, so forgive me if I'm I'm wrong, but I'm pretty close. Like the average show might have cost them about $4 and like 12 cents, something like that, to reach like a thousand viewers, right? That was sort of the cost benefit ratio. Star Trek cost like $4 and like 50 or 70 cents. It was more expensive. And then you do the multiplier on that for every thousand times how many, you know, millions of people you want watching the show it's, 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 it's much more expensive, but what they, they did know back then that the audience for Star Trek was um, better educated was had more disposable income. They knew all those details at the time of the, the second to third season decision. So although Star Trek cost a little bit more uh, to, to reach the, the same number of people, they thought they were reaching a sort of a higher quality uh, from an advertising point of view, a higher quality audience to reach. And then, uh, there's also the idea of, um, uh, of, uh, uh, Star Trek really was the only prestige show that NBC had. And Star Trek really got pretty excellent press, uh, for the most part. There were a few reviewers who didn't like it, but for the most part, it was really positively viewed by, the by by the entertainment industry. It was unusual. Leonard Nimoy had been nominated every year uh, for an Emmy Award. Um, they didn't have anything like that on NBC at the time. So all those factors kind of play a role in why Star Trek is renewed. It's not just sort of simply the, the you know, the, you know, the, the protests, although if they, the protests didn't exist, they might not have gotten renewed. You know, the business considerations included what they saw going on with those protests.
2: Yeah, I see, and that makes sense. There's, again, there there was three legs to the stool. I always thought it was two, <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating, just fascinating. Yeah. Because you know, a, a, a lot of the credit obviously um, was it Bijou and and Jean, yeah. All yeah. The, you know, that that really, yeah. you know, were. Yeah, be,
1: be- yeah, B Joe and, and her husband John really. I mean yeah. they what they what they accomplished uh without the internet, you know, and the networking that they did, um, you know, they they really are a, a big part of why Star Trek is still around is 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 them. And also what they did in in the seventies uh with, with NASA. I mean they really the you know, they I, I'm glad to start to, I'm glad that they're starting to do conventions again. Um, because I, I hope that the, the newer fans that are coming in from Discovery or from the J.J. J. Abrams films or just discovering Star Trek because it's streaming now, right. um, really know, get to know that history of the early days of fandom and how important fans like Bajot and John were and Joan Winston and... Um, You know, the whole kind of, uh, you know, original group of fans who put on the conventions and the Jacqueline Lichtenbergs and just there's a whole history there that I've always felt has never really been told in the way that it should have been told. But uh, now that they're kind of doing the convention circuit, I hope a little bit more. um, I hope that that story keeps getting out there.
2: Yeah it's it is a great story and uh, wonderful people I in fact, don't know how many times I've 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 seen interviews I think there's a few even on YouTube because they were they were interviewed even not that too long ago and it's amazing to me how um, how they're still kicking and energetic and mm-hmm. yeah, all these years and right? and
1: they did so much more than just the letter writing campaigns I mean they mm-hmm. were very important to the history of Star Trek they even did I mean you know they they helped with looking at early versions of stories and just i mean and 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 the whole even the merchandising side of it and and working behind the scenes with a lot i mean they really did uh an amazing set of contributions to to, to star trek and and uh, but that's i guess another show <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah it's, it's interesting you, know, you, you you mentioned it earlier john but how star trek has really been a, a test point for all kinds of technology you know you talk about the rca color tvs you talk about uh, phase two was going to launch a, a new network, which eventually happened with Voyager down the line. You talk about syndication with TNG. You talk about the VHS tapes here with Star Trek Two. You talk about, you know, uh, CBS All Access pretty much, you know, <laughs> putting all its eggs in the discovery basket out, out of the chute there. So it's uh, a, yeah. it's, it's a nice continuity of, of Star Trek just, uh, being this great model because it's a trusted brand you know and then when people want to find like well hey it's star trek people will probably buy it we'll try out this crazy new thing with star trek on it and it's encouraging to see how all those things have been successful like i well i guess except for upn but they canceled enterprise so that's their problem so
1: <laughs> yeah well Star star trek's still around but upn isn't yeah <laughs> but uh that's what i like to say but uh, <laughs> well you know yeah i mean that that even that continues i mean uh one of my favorite examples of that idea of star trek being connected to a new form of media is uh you know 4k right so 4k basically comes out as a where you can buy a player you know that where, where you can go to the store and storm in like march 2016 and by june of that year you've got two star trek films on 4k you know and then we're waiting 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 for the Wrath of Khan, which is supposed to be, uh, there is a 4K, it's there, we're waiting for it. Um, it hasn't been released yet, I guess, but um, uh, as far as I know, it hasn't been
0: released. Yeah, I, could yeah, I remember it being announced, because they were announced yeah. the, the uh, Nicholas Meyer director's cut on, you know, Blu-ray in HD, which is great, because we had all been holding on to our DVD set, mm-hmm. you know, the, the next yeah. to all of our Star Trek Blu-rays, because we wanted the, you know, the Nick Meyer cut. Uh, and now it's, yeah, I have it now on my shelf. I've switched out the Blu-ray for the DVD on my shelf and uh, still waiting on that 4K release. So get to it, Paramount.
1: Yeah, I mean, that would be, I you know, I can Im- imagine. And, you know, the idea is, and, and, and this has happened with me too, right? I have bought new home media technology because Star Trek has been released in it. So, you know, that's, that's and that's the point of that, right? The point mm-hmm. is to give you, it, there has to be something of value in that new media for me to want to, say okay I'm going to bring another device into my home or switch over to another format and that's really happened throughout I mean when when DVDs came out in 1996 by 1998 you've got the Star Trek films coming out I mean they did a kind of an interesting model where they started with the that at that time, the most recent film, which was first contact, and then they were going backwards, you know uh, for the most part going backwards uh, through that to do dVDs but it's you know it's it, it, it continues, and now it's streaming, right? Streaming's the next frontier, and I know it, it it is a struggle for for any generation that isn't used to that concept of sort of a la carte. You know, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take Netflix. I'll take uh, CBS. I'll access. I'll take this. I'll take that. You know, and 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 pay for that. You know, per month. That's a that, that's kind of a a very different model than we're used to. But you know, we've been paying for TV for thirty years. I mean, since you had on TV and and you know the very early cable uh, subscription models before you had the bigger modern uh, cable type of systems people have been paying for for tv for 30 years and and it's just that it's it's moving to a new format and you know they just that you know disney's going to go into it and we're of course they're putting star wars on that because that's going to drive people to that new format and so uh you know it is it 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 it, you know you can understand how somebody might be upset that they have to pay for discovery but i think of i paid 12.95 for every single episode Individual episode mm-hmm. of Star Trek on videotape, you know, or my favorite contrast is in 1980, the only Star Trek film that's ever been officially released on Super 8 was. Star Trek The Motion Picture, and you had to buy three reels of it in order to get the whole movie. Now, you could buy if you wanted, I don't know why you would, but you could buy like only one reel, or you know, so they sold each reel separately, but you had to buy three reels. Then they, they did release like a fourth reel that was like a best of, and it was everything on kind of one reel. But, um, if you wanted the movie, could do
0: that movie some good, put it down, right, Ken? Yeah, that was
1: a short, that was a short edition of it, you know? (laughs) And so, uh, (laughs) uh, so each of those three cost about a hundred to $130 each. So if you wanted Star Trek, the motion picture on super eight, um, it was, you know, about $300 for a single movie. $300,
2: $300 in 1980. Yeah. About that. Yeah. That's a big swing from $300 today. You know, it's a right.
1: it's a yeah, it's a very different, you know, it's mm-hmm. so I mean, the reality is Star Trek is a it's it, it's a you know, it, it, it's a it's a franchise, right? And it for in, in order for them to make more Star Trek, money has to be made. I mean, that's that is a reality. So uh, th- th- I've always liked that. And in fact, I, I collect the different media that Star Trek has been in just from a sort of sociological perspective to see um, these changes and to see everything from you know the, the CEDs, you know that they used to have before there was laser disc. There was something called CED, which is uh, a capacitance electronic disc, which is basically a laser disc, but almost kind of with a needle. I guess that's kind of hard to explain the difference, but it, that's kind of what it was. But it was almost like a laser disc, and uh, they released uh, Space Seed on that as well. And the art on those are beautiful. And they're big. They're like records, you know. So I like I like looking at these different formats and seeing, you know. Now, you don't. if, if you were to digitally download or buy Star Trek a uh, streaming service, you, you don't even – there's nothing you get. I mean, there's no physical right. thing to look at, you know. So it's such a it, – it, it, it is magic in
0: a way. No, and, I'm a big and, physical media guy. I totally follow you there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love – I mean, I still – even more, you know, certainly I think records on a good player, an LP sounds better than a, than a CD, I think, but just the art of it is better to me. Like the, 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 you know, like the wrath of Khan re-release that was done a few years ago, the soundtrack. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, and it's Mm. big and in a way that a CD can't be big, you know? And so, uh, I like that aspect of the physical media. And that's one of the things that's great about the VHS tapes, whether you're looking at the movies or the, or the, or or sometimes even the special way they collected films. So I always loved when they did Star Trek one through five and they did it where each, you know, was sold as a set and it made the enterprise. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, each tape, formed part of the picture. And then with Star Trek 6, they kind of made it be where it was. <laughs> that little, put... little extra ribbon at the
2: end.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could put it next to it and it didn't, it didn't quite look right, but it was all right, you know.
2: They figured um,
1: it out. Yeah. And just, you know, or just like they had, they had neat sets, you know, the VHS tapes. I remember with Next Gen, they had a a Worf collection that came with a an exclusive Worf action figure from the Playmates line. And just things like that where, uh, you know, they just look beautiful or there's a um, there's a laser disc of it's called triple trouble, uh, triple, triple trouble, I think it's called. And it's the deep space nine episode, the, uh, the original episode and the animated show. Oh. And they're all on this laser disc and the art is beautiful on the cover. Cause you get Cisco and you get, you know, Captain Kirk. And it's just, it's really a great, you know, um, uh, uh, visual presentation that you don't have anymore when you have streaming services. You don't, you don't get to have
2: that touch, that physical media. Uh, Zach sounds like you need to get on eBay again, brother. That <laughs> yes. sounds like a, it sounds like a cool one to, to get your arms around.
0: Yes, I do. I do. As we mentioned a few times here on the standard, I do collect the laser discs for, for just for the pure nostalgic reason, because when, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't, we didn't buy the Star Trek tapes for the episodes We just recorded them all off TV like that, uh, which is perfectly legal, by the way, if anyone has any questions, it's to my knowledge, if not, we're in a lot of trouble, my family, because we did that for years. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, when I got older, I was like, you know what, laser discs are cool. Laser discs are this like this lost technology in between VHS and DVD. It's like the, the missing link, right, between of home media. And, uh, you know, I was getting on eBay, you know, this is quite a few years ago now, but I got the entire original series on eBay uh, for $300, which is 40 discs. So if you do the math, it was, I don't know. It was fine, it was in my budget at the time, so I didn't mind, but, uh, but it's cool to just have like an official release of your, you know, in your favorite shows and the like, beautiful artwork. And, and it feels like, it feels really cool. Like I'm like, it's important, right? Like I'm taking out this giant disc and I'm watching it. And like, this is important. This is not something I, I plugged a flash drive in my smart TV and I'm watching now, right? So I, don't, there's just, I, I just like that part of physical media. And also, you know, uh, and, and I know digital has started to go this way. But with the, the value added material, as they call it, right, the special features, right, that's stuff mm-hmm. that that was a huge selling point of DVDs. Like, oh, look, you can look this, watch this documentary about this film, or watch this alternate cut, or, or you know, deleted scenes, or alternate ending, and all. I mean, that's Star Trek: The Motion Picture, right? The special the uh, director's edition. That was that was the first DVD I ever bought for my PlayStation Two <laughs> in the early two thousands. I, uh, I mean, that was great, you know, uh, and and I'm still waiting for. I really wish they Could upgrade that to HD because that's really the, in my opinion, the best version of the film. And I understand all the technology reasons why and how much they have to go back and up convert and render and money and time. Uh, but I really hope they get to that sometime because I would love to. I, I, I'm much like we were talking about with Star Trek 2 earlier, really, holding on to that DVD. I'm still holding on to that uh, two disc uh, DVD of the motion picture, waiting for that HD release to come out. So
1: yeah, I mean, they, they used to do really neat things. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, the I, re- I remember when Die Hard came out on DVD, one of the neat bonus features, which was just almost mind-numbing at the time to, to think about was you could, they had a sequence in there and you could re-edit the film. So you you wow. you could move the dialogue around and sort of play around with the way the film played out, which was just, you know, um, you, you never had that kind of interactivity before with your film, you know, with, with, with a film. And so, um, you know, you, you, if you wanted to do something like that, you had to write a fan fiction story or something. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that was great. I mean, that one, the, one of the problems with the original line of the Star Trek DVDs with the movies was they, they when they were going backwards they kind of were, they were very bare bones i mean the bonus right. feature was like a trailer you know and then <laughs> and, and then, you, then you got to yeah and then they finally got to star trek motion picture and then it was like ah okay now this was a huge deal um because of what they did to it and then they you know bringing in robert wise again and kind of re, remaking it and reshaping that film and then they re, then they started going in the other direction and doing 2 and 3 and you get you were getting these really great commentaries and just so you yes. would you know you you were buying the D V D and you were spending you know, you could spend literally five, six, seven hours on the bonus content if you watched the movie and you listened to the commentary and you did the text, you know, uh
0: uh sort of yeah, pop up. Yeah, and that to that the thing. text commentaries, right, right. Yeah.
1: And just and then all the other bonus features that they included in the exclusive interviews and just, you know, and, and so it was that was always great, you know, in a way. And it's, it's kind of weird now because when you do streaming uh, not that I mind it, I mean, there's a certain element of streaming. I like in that, like I can go on a trip and my, my media can come with me, you know, Right, like I don't, factor. I don't, Can't Yeah, argue. It's, it's, it's great. And of course the picture is pretty good. You know, I mean, it's certainly better than a VHS tape. Mm-hmm. And, um, but like when you watch something like star Wars or star Trek or something like that, and that, you know, the bonus content is like at the end, you know, and it's, 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 it just sort of seems you know you are you set a four and a half hour you know timeline on it and it just it doesn't separate it out as as kind of something you know special and unique usually, and um, you know you almost never even sometimes you don't even get to it anymore I think the bonus content depending on on the film and but I but I really do think that you know when you look at just the the the, the quality of the way that they did the boxes and I remember the the first Contact box had this really cool lenticular, cover to it so it was a movie poster with uh you know the borg queen and and picard and and data and you and you just you know you moved it along and it was like it was like holographic and it was just great you know and um you don't you don't have that option obviously when you have the streaming but then again your streaming is you know got benefits too
2: well that's true so you know one of the things that we were talking earlier about was like the business aspect of all these things and i think the latest version you're seeing as you're talking about streaming and all of this and, and content being king now, it's, it's bringing CBS and Paramount back together, potentially anyway. And a lot of the driver is that if, if all access is to be successful, if, more st- if the streaming service is to expand, then having the library from Paramount and the TV library from CBS makes it at least somewhat competitive with Disney. It'll never get to that scale but it'll allow them to compete. And of course the Star Trek franchise is a big piece of that, you know, and, and you've got the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've got Transformers, you've got some, some pretty cool, not that I'm a big Transformers guy or anything like that, but they, they do have some, some pretty good titles in in their library that could help drive that medium even further.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, what my, one of my hopes is, you know, the, because it, it's just, it really is in, in the very just beginning steps of that streaming world that we're living in. And, uh, but I, my, what my hope is, you know, we have this, this window, right? So, um, uh, Star Trek Discovery finished, uh, about a month ago or so and we're probably not going to see a new episode of that till i mean they haven't announced it exactly but i would imagine maybe january of 2019 maybe very end of 2018 um and you're going to have a big gap right now i can live with that because i lived with a gap of 12 years you know between (laughs) between uh you know one show and the next show but um i my hope would be that 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 they see that in between time as an opportunity to bring in kind of one off, almost like anthology to borrow from the star Wars world um, uh, you know, stories, star Trek stories kind of uh, shows. I mean, I, I know there's a rumor and I, and I, and it's a part of my nightly prayers for after world peace and taking care of my family and trying to make me a better person. I always, you know, always throw in something. About it. And please let the con TV show be true, um, <laughs> because I can't think of anything that would make me happier as a father to be able to sit down with 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 Mary Jo and my my family and my and our son and watch con written by nicholas meyer right, again right. um you know in, in and in a six episode eight episode whatever it would be mini series um where we see his life on seti alpha which is kind of what the rumor is and that would just be and you know a thrill because you know my dad's gone and that's a tremendous memory for me going with my dad and i would love to have something like that to share with my son and um and to have it be by the same person who, you know, there isn't a, there are, you know, there's a few creators in Star Trek who I just, you know, I, I admire with everything that I am as a person and people like Doug Drexler and uh, Michael Piller and, you know, uh, Harve Bennett and uh, Herman Zimmerman. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch, but certainly Nicholas Meyer is, uh, is, is at the very top of that list along with Gene Rodberry. And so, um, you know I, I hope there I hope that that is that is an opportunity there to put something in there to keep the to keep pe- people subscribing to all access I mean as a business model it makes sense um, and you know so cause if you're really if you're subscribing because of Star Trek you want to keep the Star Trek content going you know not only the old library but the but new stuff and you know I'd love it well how about a wharf TV movie how about a what's going on you you could do you could conceivably do a D Space Nine follow up, um, even if you're following up with only one or two characters, and and do it in a streaming format, you know, it, you know, for a cheaper price tag, you're not committing to a whole show or something like that, and it just adds that value and it keeps subscribers to the to that world, and that's what I hope happens in those in between, you know, many many months, perhaps that we're not going to have uh, Star Trek Discovery or you know the next Star Trek show or whatever it's going to be. Um, and, and I think that's, I, I, I would, I, they're smart enough, I'm sure that they've thought about that. And if it works out as a model that they would do it. And, and I hope that that's what's occurring, you know, cause I am, you know, I, I do wonder why, you know, uh, I know that some of it was Brian Fuller dropping out, but there was, you know, talk of episodes being written by Nicholas Meyer. And so, and, and that wasn't, that never came to be on mm-hmm. uh, discovery, at least, at least not yet um and uh but you know he did say he's working on something star trek and right he w- he won't say what it is
0: he was very <laughs> clear he used yeah. some some con puns when he was talking about it too so we'll see yeah. what that leads to but you know I, to be honest I, I if it was anybody else with like nicholas meyer i would be like do we really need to see that with con right but since it's him i'm like okay so i'll watch whatever he writes so on board yeah,
1: that. no, and I think and I think that's an important story to tell. I mean, I think you know Greg Cox did a great job um, with his books. He, I, I love his sort of con trilogy uh, of books that he has. He has the two that kind of tell the story prior to um, Space Seed, and then he has the one that tells the story in between that. And and you know he did th- those are really wonderful books. But I I would I would love to see a um, a really great uh, character study of what moved Khan from being, you know, a very uh, thoughtful villain is what he was in in Star and Space Seed. You know, he was a he was a he took he he was violent only when necessary and not because he wanted it. He he was capable of it. He would do it, um, but he did it judiciously. Whereas Ratha Khan, you have a you know you have a completely uh, vengeful a person. And to see that transformation, I think would be a fascinating character study. And to, and to give it to somebody who has such a history with the character like Nicholas Meyer and oh my, and you know, my fantasy is writing it and have him write it and direct it would be, oh my
2: gosh. Oh, that would be cool. Have you ever met him, John? I'm just curious.
1: I, you know, I get, um, we're very lucky. He's always very responsive to us. You know, we we, we did, um, we came across his, uh, he has a wonderful uh, um, library of materials of all of his films, including the day after. And I mean, that, that historically is an incredibly important film. In fact, I just read a book about Ronald Reagan and movies and they talked a lot about how that affected Reagan, that, that Nicholas Myers did the day after. And I mean, that, that playing a, an actual role in making the world a little safer. Um, but uh uh, he has a really wonderful collection at his alma mater at the university of iowa and uh we the about oh, maybe 10 years ago 12 years ago we we got in contact with him and we had asked him for permission to kind of go into those archives and and to bring them out into the public a little bit more um, anybody can go look at them but you got to go to the university of iowa and look at them you know and there really is incredible con material there in in addition to his writing there were about 800 photographs that no one had ever seen before on set, and so we had asked for permission to kind of go in and look at them from a from an academic, you know, point of view, not you know, not for profit or anything, but to go in and really study them and to digitize them and to share them with people, and um, and in that process, many many questions were raised. So like we we had found the pictures of them trying to film the con baby scene, you know, where there's a little baby. And and when what was that about, you know, and there would have been all these sort of rumors about that through the years and and who was the baby and why was, you know, what was the role in the movie? And um, so we were we were able to talk with him and to and, and usually communicating, you know, via email. But he has been really for a decade um, a, a really wonderful resource. And he's really been generous with his time whenever we have questions or um, even I'll ask him to to, to, to share something that I could share with my students, you know, about, and he'll share it with me. I and mean, he's just really generous with, um, his time and, and, and we really appreciate that. So in New York, when we were at the 2016 convention, my wife and I gave some presentations on Rathokan, and then we did a, a tribute to Leonard Nimoy there. And, um, he was there as well. And it would have been a chance for us to finally meet face to face. We've only uh, been remotely communicating with each other. I did a, uh, uh, I guess I, I guess should call it a fan read on his book uh, um, uh, um, uh, A View from the Bridge uh, about his life in film and I did sort of a fan read on that and but that was all
0: kind of remote you know so yeah. so much, much like Kirk and Khan and the Wrath of Khan you have yet to meet face to face
1: yes <laughs> right yes you know, cause, <laughs> I mean I you know it would be it, it would be an incredible um, you know it would to me it would be an incredible experience because for for me a lot of that is you know, uh, again, wrapped up in my original my original introduction to the film was seeing it with my dad, and 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 having a really great night with my dad. And then and then my dad and I saw all the Star Trek films after that together. I mean, it was it was for for some fathers and sons, and and fathers and daughters, and and whatever combination. Uh, it's it's baseball or, or or football or something that that kind of bonds them together. And for me and my dad, it was going to see science fiction films and. Um, him having grown up on Flash Gordon and things like that when he was a little kid in the, in the 30s um, and me and me, you know, having my, my Planet of the apes and Star Wars and, and, and Logan's run and, you know, then Star Trek. And, uh, you know, that it was very painful for me to go see uh, Star Trek in the darkness because that was the first film that uh, Star Trek film that I had not seen without him. And then for Beyond was the, my mom had passed away after that. My mom had gone too, even though she wasn't a big Star Trek fan. She liked, I mean, I'm a big big science fiction fan. She liked Star Trek and (laughs) she would come with us. And uh, so Beyond was a little hard, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, But, you know, but, 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 but so, you know, film is always has the, it's more than just the movie, you know, but I, to me, what makes uh, Meyer remarkable and just the whole Star Trek two story remarkable is it just, it, it shouldn't have been successful. There's a million reasons it shouldn't have worked. Um, and it, and not only was it, I mean, I, I just think, you know, I, I, you know, it's like saying I like celery or I like, you know, carrots. I mean, it's an opinion, I guess, but I think it's, it's a, it's a defensible opinion to say that Star Trek two isn't, isn't only a great Star Trek film. I think it's a great film. And, oh, and I, think it's, I, I think it's a piece of art. I mean, I really do elevate it to the, I mean, that is what cinema is supposed to be. And most of the time, art is often accidental and, I, and, I, and, 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 and or the result of like an emergency popping up and you having to be creative and you having to think of a way out of that situation that you're in. And so all the time and, and money and special effects limitations that Meyer and all of his crew uh, and the actors faced when they made that film um, just, the, you know, amazes
0: me. All right, we're going to put a pin in our conversation with John Tenuto right there. We're having such a great discussion. John had so much Star Trek knowledge to share with us. We figured we'd spread it out over two episodes. So stay tuned next week on Center, but for the conclusion of our conversation with John Tenuto. Until then, that's not the only thing we've been talking about this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: previously on trek.fm primitive culture a look at history and culture through star trek
0: you know and i used to i used to have a pretend phaser and i used to you know i had a tricorder i I was about i think i was a science officer in my head i wasn't like kirk or jedi (laughs) running around saving the galaxy i was oh look at that rock formation over there (laughs) right (laughs) so i think She's ironic because I'm the least practical person in the real world, so I'd be useless on a science expedition. I'd be a redshirt. I'd be, if I was in Star Trek, car, I'd be a shirt I'd be dead as soon as I got on that planet. Right? That—that's the more realistic depiction of me in Star Trek.
2: Universe, <laughs> right? I'd be the guy killed by the hulking
0: Gorn as soon as I beam down. Oh, <laughs> I see. Crewman Black's dead. Yeah. Should have brought him really. Earl Grey. Whoa! You're telling me I can't do the thing that I always do? That's bad. Like I don't know about that. Like that—that—that's that's a very universal thing when you, c- conservation, whatever, right? Uh, although I just I didn't I wasn't the biggest fan of the execution and then them completely dropping the ball with it for or at least just sweeping it on the rug. I should say they just decided like oh, let's talk about. I, I I appreciate the fact they brought it up at all. Honestly, like if that had been on TOS, to be honest, they would have never brought it up again. Right? Oh yeah, <laughs> God. <gone. laughs> yeah. Give us warp fourteen again. Warp five. Uh, from
1: Major Carpenter, which is why he calls himself Carpenter, and then he says his first name is John, Jesus Christ, John Carpenter, J.C.'s, um, and John and
0: was a disciple. His name John Carpenter. Oh yeah. my God! I, I never yeah. made that connection.
2: Whoa! previous... <laughs> his his previous He's made some really good movies because I mean, re- <laughs> <laughs> just jumped up a few pegs. <laughs> the
1: Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast.
0: You're killing me. I'm going to pull my hair out if that happens because I really do need to know. What if, like, <laughs> I just had a crazy idea. What if they get the captain in the first episode, but they continue on with these lower deck characters so well that we just never see the captain and it's like like the teacher in Charlie Brown, like... <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well.
2: If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit Patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patron's website, PatronZone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We also want to thank very, very much our our esteemed associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Nicholas Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. So Norm, Nick, Tim, Richard, Corey, and Dan, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means as much as we can can possibly tell you uh, the world to us that, that you've agreed to sign on and help keep Standard Orbit alive and well. Yes, thank
0: you so much, guys. We really do appreciate all your contributions. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Standard Orbit. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. As for us personally... You can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own show called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of That Young Superman Show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. What about you, Ken?
2: Hey, you can find me on Twitter as well at Boston S C P O stands for at Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. And I'm also on the Babel Conference whenever I can be engaging and trying to add you know, a lot of good provocative suggestions to our other shows but anyway we look forward to seeing you on the babel conference and responding back and forth on this show as well
0: all right well that's going to do it for us this week but stay tuned next time for another edition of standard orbit